When St. Louis Alderman Stephen Conway resigned earlier this year to become the city assessor, it was up to the St. Louis Democratic Central Committee to pick the Democratic nominee for a February special election. In the past, Democratic committee people often made a suggestion to fill an aldermanic vacancy in their ward, and the Democratic committee ratified it. But that didn't happen this time around. Eighth Ward Committeeman Paul Failer and Eighth Ward Committee woman Annie Rice both wanted the job, which meant the entire committee had a choice to make. Rice, an immigration attorney who was elected to her committee woman post in 2016, made her pitch to her colleagues. I'm here tonight as a neighbor and citizen of the 8th Ward who knows the needs of my community and believes in my ability to meet those needs and represent them well. I know all of us here at the DCC have the same goal, to grow our city into a stronger, more inclusive, more equitable St. Louis community. Ultimately, though, the committee picked failure. Rice decided to run as an independent to fill out the last year of Conway's term. Unlike other races for aldermanic seats, Thaler and Rice refrained from attacking each other and were somewhat similar when it came to the issues. But their surrogates took a much different approach. Thaler fans attacked Rice for betraying the local Democratic Party, while Rice backers tried to paint Thaler as a faux progressive since he received support from Mayor Lida Krusen and the St. Louis Police Officers Association. For her part, Rice thought her independent bid was part of a broader issue with the Democratic Party, both statewide and nationally. If we as the Democratic Party are the party of the people, then we can't have the same sorts of roadblocks there that don't allow people to have choice, that don't allow people's voices to be heard um, and to really feel like they're truly represented. When all the votes were tallied on Tuesday, Rice won by a wide margin. She'll be the only member of the Board of Aldermen with an I after her name, which may or may not be all that relevant since Democrats hold every other citywide or aldermanic office in St. Louis. So on this edition of the Politically Speaking podcast, we welcome Alderwoman-elect Annie Rice to the program to talk about her successful campaign and what she wants to accomplish in office. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum. And I'm Joe Manis. That's Eric Reitens, Navy <laughs> SEALs running for governor, and I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason and Joe. I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. And welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Colleague Joe Manis. Our special guest host today. Our another colleague, Rachel Lippman. And the person of the hour, the winner of the most widely watched aldermanic race in the history of the world. <laughs> I'm only being slightly facetious there. We have as our guest today... Annie Rice, alderwoman-elect of the 8th Ward. Thank you so much for coming. The less than twenty-four hours. Less yeah, than twenty-four say, hours. Yeah, it's about eighteen hours. Yes. Um, and I, I am uh, pleased to say that I am finally outnumbered by by eighth ward residents. Yes. There's been a couple <laughs> of occasions where sixteenth ward residents have had the had the had the the majority, but this is not one of those days because my my uh, esteemed colleague Rachel Lipman lives in the eighth ward. 
And um, before we get to your background or any questions, just explain what the boundaries of the Eighth Ward are, are for people that don't know. Sure. So we're kind of uh, the three sides of Tower Grove Park. So the, the western edge, we've got Southwest Garden and comes up to the Botanical Gardens. Um, and so that's the west side of Kings Highway. Um, that Schnooks on Arsenal is in the Eighth Ward. Um, and then the, the Shaw neighborhood, minus one block. Hmm. Uh, and then... Uh, a strip of Tower Grove East that goes all the way down to Utah. So um, the, the yellow s- line of Utah, because if you cross <clears> my <throat> street, right. you are in the 15th. Yes. So is the Botanical Gardens in the 8th? Or? Yes. Okay. Yep. A beautiful and, place. And half of yes. Tower Grove Park, right? But a weird half About of it. About three quarters of it. Okay. Yeah. Because where the line draws, um, the whole western side from Center Cross Drive is in the 8th, but then the north east quadrant is the southeast quadrant is in the 15th not so. not to go down too <laughs> deep of a geographic sure. rabbit hole but is the ymca in the in the eighth the old ymca that's getting renovated is not okay. so that's um shenandoah is the northernmost portion of tower grove east that is there so that is in the sixth ward okay so um but just tell us a little bit about yourself you you've been a, an elected official within the democratic party since 2016 as a committee woman. as a committee woman but i i know that that's not the beginning of your life story, even though for many people on the Democratic Central Committee, that was the, the start of their life. Uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in St. Louis politics. Sure. So um, I was born and raised outside of Springfield, Illinois, um, and I did my undergraduate work over at Greenville College then, Greenville University now. Um, I did. I studied urban and cross-cultural ministry, was looking to go into mission work of some kind. And through that study, through a semester abroad in Uganda during a presidential election, uh, really got myself uh, interested and invested in the political process as far as something that that deeply uh, impacts people's lives. Um, And realizing that, you know, mission work is the work that's right outside your front door as well, um, that's in your community and getting involved there. And um, took a few years working after undergraduate and then went to law school over in Cincinnati because I wanted to do uh, international human rights work over there and got to clerk for a judge in Botswana and learn a lot um, from the Innocence Project over there and um, things of that sort. And I moved to St. Louis to uh, take the bar um, here. My family's you know, sort of in the area of a sister in Edwardsville. My brother was in Belleville at the time, worked for AT&T until they moved him over to Dallas. So um, you know, this was this has sort of always been around home base. Um, we're Cardinals baseball fans, so every every trip outside of Springfield was down here to St. Louis and uh, listen listen to uh, KMOX on the regular. So I felt like I, I knew the traffic patterns of St. Louis really well. <laughs> um, but um, you know, and as far as getting involved in politics, when I moved into the Shaw neighborhood, um, I was just looking for a place to call home um, and found a good place to live, walked outside my front door, met a whole bunch of really great people, um, but also realized it's hard in St. Louis to step outside your front door without stepping foot in the middle of politics, right? Everything is is deeply political because, you know, we have 28 wards, you're, you're very connected to what's happening. Um, and, you know, someone in, encouraged me to get involved in our Eighth Ward Democratic Organization, checked that out, um, you know, and then once the once the protest kicked off um, after Mike Brown's death and then after Von Derrick Myers' death in the Shaw neighborhood, um, started seeing sort of the splits in opinion there in, in the ward um, between, you know, leadership and, and the people in the ward. Um, and 
that when it came to the committee election, that was that was sort of the next step. The the former committee woman, Cara Jensen, asked me to run. Um, you know, we we talk that women have to be asked to get into these things, and and she asked, and she said, "Hey, you're doing this already. You're connecting with people. You're getting information out there. You're trying to get people involved. Um, so we want to, you know, how how can we?" move you into a position of leadership so that we can help try to shape our um, shape our organization around more of where the people are. Um, and yeah, it just sort of it's sprung from there, getting more and more involved in the process. I um, represent the 5th Senate District to the state Missouri State Democratic Party. Um, and that was, you know, one more way to, to try to influence things and um, yeah, I was on our platform committee. We're trying to develop a 2018 platform for the state as well. I was so, actually yeah. at one of the meetings in Bowling Green, Missouri. Okay. So I actually have seen that platform committee in action. Yeah. And I th- and I think that the split that you mentioned, sort of between the the ward leadership, the alder, the then alderman. Uh, Democratic Party leaders is is really kind of interesting because you have seen that start to play out in the last, I think, two or three elections. You had the former alderman, uh, a, a big supporter of the mayor. Your ward voted for Tashara Jones, uh, one of four wards to vote against Proposition P despite its endorsement. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really kind of been interesting to sort of see how far that alderman, former alderman, had kind of split from the ward and how that was going to play out in the election. Now, how would you, because I used to cover city politics a long, I still do some, but long, long, long time ago. <laughs> but how do you see the reason for these splits? Is it a generational thing? Is it a philosophical thing? Does it maybe hail back to the presidential? I mean, because there are some areas where it's still Sanders versus Clinton Democrats. Uh, I'm just interested in your take on what the origination, why this has happened. Yeah. So, and I think tying it a little bit to the presidential in that our ward went for Bernie Sanders um, heavily. And, and in so that, did some very strange wards for the city, though. Well, so <laughs> that's fair. But I, I think in the eighth, it's, it's indicative of people who want to be directly involved in the process. Um, and the, the Democratic organization is an open organization. People are welcome to join. Um, but if we're not doing enough outreach to bring people in or create a space in which people are welcome and their their voices are being heard, um, then then they don't want to participate in that. So one of the things, we, we have a new chairman this year, um, and I, it, there is a little bit of a generational split, but it, it's not entirely, right? This isn't, this isn't old versus young. Um, it's sort of a difference in political philosophy of do we – you know, do we create a space where we're sort of tightly controlling what's happening here, or are we are we really actively engaging folks in in being a part of the process? So we we have an open endorsement process that if you're a member, um, you can vote on how we endorse, but you have to be a member for 90 days. You have to join at a meeting, um, and you know we we don't have we don't have online donations things like or or the online payment process to to get folks in a lot of us don't carry checks anymore um you know there's there's things that we've been working on over the last year to try to make our organization more representative of the ward itself but it hasn't been that yet we've got some change over there i mean some of this is not new maybe new in format but i remember back in the late 70s when i covered city hall i mean a lot of wards had what were known as rump groups so i mean that's the official title and, you know, where you had a Democratic 
you know, organization. Then you had another Democratic organization. So, and they were rivals because of philosophical differences generally or tactics. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, this is not much different than that other than it's within the same, for whatever reason, everyone's decided to either stay together or fight it out together Mm -hmm. as opposed to having two warring groups. Just where you get the weird, like, regular Democratic organizations and independent Democratic organization name from... Yeah, and the eighth is the eighth ward independent democratic organization. So they, um, it is, it's because of previous um, fights that that came about. So I don't want to spend this entire podcast talking about the race you just won because there's a lot of important issues I want to talk about. But I do want to delve into it a little bit because as I was telling you offline, I, I was paying attention to it pretty carefully because I guess I was jealous that the 16th ward race didn't generate as much social media attention, even though. We we spent five times as much money as yours. So social media is free, Jason. You don't social need media money to is do that. free. So okay. So what ended up happening, and I explained this in the introduction. Both you and Paul Thaler are committee people. You both wanted the the Democratic nomination after Steve Conway became the assessor. Typically, what happens is if, if there's an aldermanic vacancy, the committee people come together and decide on a candidate, and that candidate usually is endorsed by the Democratic Central Committee. That's what happened in the second ward, and that's what happened in the 28th ward, at least, yeah. you know, the second time. The second time. But um, this instance, basically, the, the, the committee was free to choose whoever they wanted because both of you wanted the job, and you would have just have recommended yourselves, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so what ended up happening was Paul ended up winning the Democratic nomination, you ended up deciding to run as an independent, mm-hmm. um, which, again, is not that unusual. There were independent candidates in the 28th Ward and the 2nd Ward in, in the past few months. Yeah, but something that's unusual about this is that you're a committee woman. Mm-hmm. You're a Democratic committee woman. That, I think, is unusual. Yes. I mean, can you anybody – I mean, maybe I'm missing something, but I cannot recall another case where a committee person ran as an independent. I, I saw cases I mean, where they ran as a Democrat – challenging somebody else in the primary or whatever. I'm not being critical of it. I'm yeah. just highlighting this, mm-hmm. how this is in some way different. Yeah, and, and, and I, 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 I watch processes like this happen, and I don't think that there was anything like super unusual beyond the fact that both committee people wanted the job. What I was kind of surprised about, and this is actually playing out now, is that some members of the Central Committee were really upset that you're running as an independent because they felt that you were like desecrating the Democratic Party name, which I've said on Twitter is a, it's kind of an odd thing in a city of St. Louis where every elected official is a Democrat and Republicans have no chances of winning anymore. I, I don't really understand that mentality. Um, I, I, that is a long setup. But how did you kind of navigate through running as an independent and what did you kind of make of some Democratic officials and activists being upset that you ran as an independent. So it, it's interesting here in in the city, the more that we that we push left, right, we, we've got some candidates who have um, not not necessarily all as independents. We've there'll be three of us on the on the board now that will all ran as independents and one as independents. Um, there have been independents in other races. Um, folks and the Central Committee have supported those people back and forth. Um, but you're right, this is the first time this was another committee person doing that. Um, and and for some reason, this struck more of a chord than those times, right? Um, 
we can go back and say, hey, here's a list of people that supported this independent candidate or here's a list of people that supported this independent candidate. But keeping score like that seems not really helpful for moving us forward. Um, and, you know, it's it's tricky, right? There were um, there were a lot of committee people that supported me at that meeting. Um, but then there were a lot of folks that were really upset with me for the way that I went about presenting my case um, to the party. And and I think Do you want to explain that sure, just a yeah. little bit without getting yeah. too much in the weeds? I mean, yeah. what made you decide, I mean, in your own words, we've yeah. written about it, but just yep. briefly. Sure. So um, what I did, because in this situation, we had two people going up um, for this for this spot. Um, one of the things that's said often around the Central Committee is, you know, I don't want to get into what's happening in your ward. It's sort of an aldermanic courtesy, but at a committee level, right? Um, so I said, okay, I'm going to present to you the best case of what is happening in my ward. So I'm going to say, you know, I got more than 200 more votes than Paul did in the election where we were both elected. Um, we weren't head to head, so it was, it was a little bit of a different difference there. Um, but also I went to seek out the voters before I went to this, right? We, we knocked on doors, we got 500 plus people to sign on to say, hey, we want Annie to be our democratic nominee. Um, and and that to me was here. I'm I'm giving you what my ward wants because if you don't want to step in and make a decision for my ward, let me let me help you. Um, but then that was called disrespectful. I was um, on in phone conversations and then in in public, people were really upset that I was taking that decision out of their hands. Um, when I saw it as a you know we're the Democratic Party, we're the party of the people. We should you know be reaching out to those who are directly impacted by this. Um, you know, and that led into my decision to to then run as an independent. Um, and we, the support was quick um, and people were really upset. A lot of people voiced their, their um, discontent with the, with the way that it, it went down at that meeting. Um, put up a billboard, that, <laughs> the billboard at, uh, <laughs> I actually thought the billboard was fake. I had, I thought someone Photoshopped it until I went and saw it myself. So, um, you know, and I guess now we, now we know, uh, how cheap it is to put up a billboard. Um, it was it was not me, but I, I've heard tell of how cheap it actually was to flash a, a two second thing up on that billboard. So, um, feel well, free the one that 44 future, and yeah. Kings Highway that, yep. that rotating one. Yes, feel free, future folks, to uh, look into that for your campaigns. Um, you know, and it's I I said at the meeting that I didn't plan to run as an independent, and I meant that. Um, you know, and it's I I don't think. I think this is a point where our local central committee um, can look to ourselves and say, is this the way that we want to continue doing this, right? If we're, if we want to have multiple Democrats on the ballot at a time, then is there a different mechanism for doing that? Or are we just going to be okay with independence and not punish people for backing an independent, right? I, I was just going to say, I think the obvious solution to prevent this, and I called it a melodrama, and I didn't mean to say that you or Paul created any of this melodrama. It was basically the other people doing this. The obvious thing is to change the charter to whenever there's an aldermanic vacancy, just have anybody sign up and just have multiple Democrats, multiple Republicans, Green Party, natural law, Whigs, whatever, uh, and just have it at the same time. I, I, I have found the, uh, the again, in a all-democratic city now, this is not 1970 where there was a Republican citywide official or 1930 when there was a Republican mayor. Republicans are not going to win offices in St. Louis anymore. It just is very odd that the party committees are deciding the, the nominees 
for these automatic vacancies. It seems like an archaic thing that people should reconsider. Nonpartisan for mayor's races, too. Why not make you have a, a, a primary in March runoff in April? I mean, but I think it would involve I, I, I could be wrong, but I think this might involve more than the city charter because the city is a county because. <laughs> Yeah. A lot of these same rules are in St. Louis County when there's a vacancy, like for a, a legislative seat. It's the committee people within that district who choose. But that's for state lawmakers, though. What yeah. is it for the county council? Like the closer analogous yeah. um, and, be county council. No, but that's the same way. My point being is I think there may have to be a state law change, possibly, is what yeah. I'm saying. Well, so I, I could think be for wrong. the city it would have to be a charter change because the at charter least. says at least. that the, yeah. the parties put forth their candidate on that ballot. So um, if if the party was, you know, if the parties were to, I, I don't know at this point, we could possibly challenge and say if the party wants to put two people forward, right, then, okay. Because I mean, uh, the vote, my, my the, the overall thing is that the voters would likely right. have to weigh in. Right, right, yeah. And I do think, you know, if we, if we wanted to change to a straight, um, a, a multi-candidate uh, multi multi runoff, candidate runoff right? then that would have to be a charter change. But if it was just purely a decision within the Democratic Party to say, we're going to let whoever wants to run and file as a Democrat run, um, they also get double the fees from that. And those are some of the things that support <laughs> the organization. So there's an argument to be made there as well. But I, I think that's something that we um, need to explore. So let's delve into issues. Sure. Um, what's going to be your main priority are your main priorities when you are sworn in in the next few days? I don't know when you're being sworn in. So I, th I think Feb February 23rd. Okay, um, so, so the next few days. Is yeah, which is yeah, the first to, day they can le you can legally do it. Yeah, Right. They have to certify the election next week and then... Um, and then we'll go from there. So, um, you know, I know that there there are some things pending that are really interesting that um, I hope to be in place for for votes. Um, you know, the um, the buffer zone bill that came through this morning, came through the committee this morning, um, would love to be able to support that. And just explain um, what that is, by the way. Sure. So it's a it's a bill to create a little space out in front of the Planned Parenthood clinic um, on Forest Park. Um, it's and I think it's important for anyone who is using that facility um, to be able to enter and exit freely into that parking lot. You know, it's already gated. There's already you know trying to protect people there because we've had incidents at our location. Um, you know, there have been bomb threats. There, people are accosted. You know, I, I was actually driving past there today, and you know, someone is basically over the car. Sorry, go too close to the mic. Over the car. Um, you know, kind of yelling at someone who's in in the vehicle, and you can see it from across across the way. And so, it, um, to be able to let people have space to demonstrate, um, but freely allow people entry and exit into that clinic, um, I think is important. And it's actually something that I believe, at least last time I looked, the the police were supportive of creating a little space there as well. Um, I think they just want the certainty of what is allowed and what isn't. There's if there's a line on the pavement and you cross it, you can cite them, you can calm it down. Whereas now there's not. Right. much to sort of say this is the line you have crossed right i mean yeah. do you Literally. run into state issues as well because i know there's been efforts to try to get some sort of buffer i mean for decades mm -hmm. i mean because you know that building's been there for about 30 years i think yeah um so i mean that's something that i was wondering uh without getting into a value judgment whether or not i could see the general assembly being asked to weigh in just like they did on the um a on the on the minimum wage i mean i'm not advocating it i'm just observing i'm just curious at what yeah. might happen because there have been efforts to get some sort of buffer out there for a long time mm -hmm. yeah i'm i'm really not sure um 
is the specific phrasing of this one, how challengeable it would be, you know, by the state legislature and their attempts, you know, Governor Greitman's special session that they called didn't really actually change anything for the bills that were passed through uh, the Board of Aldermen last time. So um, whether or not, you know, they they want to waste that amount of money <laughs> to try to come after that again, we'll see. Um, but. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure on that one. So. An opponent told me today, uh, the uh, individual the Coalition for Life, St. Louis, that one of the things they would explore is to go to the state legislature and ask for some sort of like preemption that you cannot restrict. You know, well, that's what I figured. around, but you know, <laughs> and, and, and the justification they they might use again. I'm not okay right now. The St. Louis Clinic remains the only one within the state, although there's been this effort mm-hmm. to reopen or open. Mm-hmm. Uh, New Columbia. Is Columbia open? Well, Columbia is only partial. I I don't want to bore the details, but, but, but I mean, at one point there was four or five. I mean, this, this goes back 20 years, but my point being is that now that there has been an effort to try to reopen or open some new ones around the state, they may be trying to do this. I mean, they may try to use that as justification for then, uh, barring, um, the city again. I'm not advocating it. I'm just predicting there may. But be it is also worded to be healthcare facility. So right. nowhere in there does it specifically say Planned Parenthood of. It could mm. apply to hospitals. It could apply to anyways. Yeah. yeah. But but another issue that I'm sure that you've been paying attention to is tax incentives, which has been yeah. kind of a, a running debate. And the question that I always put forward is: I, I know that there's a, a, a strong view out there that the city is is doling out too many giveaways to developers it's draining resources the, the question i always ask is if if you pull back too much does that put us at a disadvantage to places like st louis county and st charles county which have a lot more resources and are probably not going to do the same thing i'm interested in your take on that because i know that's probably been an issue in the eighth ward for a long time yeah i i think People are looking for um, actual evaluations of how these are working, right? We Are we giving away $700 million in tax revenue um, that we're actually giving away? Or, you know, is the, what's the give and take there? I don't, I, think, I don't think anyone says all tax incentives are bad, right? Um, even, even the groups that are advocating for reform are saying we could be using these better, more efficiently in areas that need more growth and development, need more push there. Um, I, I do think that... I've been looking at a little bit of research, um, and I, the name of the organization escapes me, but um, that TIFs across the country, we're, we're seeing that they're not really economic benefits to the cities that are offering them. Um, and if people are starting to ask, is this actually working? What are the consequences of doing this? Um, is there a better way to advocate for these things? You know, I'm I'm glad that we didn't get Amazon with the amount of incentives that we were trying to give away. I I mean, I think those kind of deals are um, possibly net negatives for cities. I mean, I, I think that's that's maybe me like even being with a really, hyperloop. <laughs> I, I mean, listen, if. Uh, what was it, Joe's Barbecue in, on the Kansas side that was included in our Missouri form, like our flyer for that? Anyway, I um, off topic. I know. I uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think people are just looking for common sense, right? Or show, let's be the show me state. Show me that this is actually working before we're going to give this away. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're starting to get the numbers on that. We're starting to get more open data to say – is this thing necessary? Is this working? Um, because we're, we also realize that when 
the burden just shifts. It doesn't it doesn't go away. It doesn't ease. You know, we we shift the burden of our tax incentives, particularly abatements, to our neighbors, to um, the rest of the city. The way the way that our tax financing balances out. So if we're going to do this, who takes on the burden? Who benefits from that? And is it actually worth it? You and I also had a conversation once about just sort of the city's development strategy, how they always seem to be, you know, let's shoot for the stars. And I'm wondering what you think needs to be focused on that is already here to, um, instead of trying to go for new, what could be focused on and what the city's already strong in? Sure. So, I mean, I think that, right, silver bullet projects, right? We we keep shooting for these silver bullet things that this is going to be the thing that brings St. Louis back. This is going to be the thing that pulls us back from the brink. But we have immense resources in um, people who are entrepreneurs who are starting businesses. We've got um, Cortex, we've got T-Rex, we've got um, startup incubators all around the city um, that are pushing forward that folks from other cities are coming into and saying, hey, it is cheap to do business here. It's cheap to start a business here. We've got, um, we, we're flooded with talent of people who can be in these things. So if we can incentivize that sort of small business development, that sort of startup, the the tech companies that are coming in, our immigrant population that's starting businesses as well. If we if we use this as sort of a ground level growth, then we're not shooting for that one silver bullet that's going to solve all of our problems um, because we we expend an immense amount of resources reaching for those things and then when they fall you know we don't we don't get the nfl stadium we don't get the amazon project how much money did we spend putting forth those proposals and what could we be doing sort of ground up right um and i I think that's that's something that around the the country we're seeing in democratic areas people are wanting ground up politics we want ground up solutions to things we don't want just this is going to be the thing that solves all your problems or this person is going to solve all of your problems so, I mean, veering from that, uh, with the fact that it's all Democrats at City Hall, and while and but no city is an island, especially when you're heading into November, and with what happened now, mm-hmm. and these were all Democrats on all sides. Do you predict any sort of um, fallout from basically your success in being a renegade? Uh, Going renegade. in, <laughs> I like that. I like that. I, I, I like renegade better than the progressives. Well, because everybody's a progressive. Everybody's. I mean, in St. Louis, this is my issue with that, and sure. I've said this in other shows. It gives the connotation that people are who aren't part of that faction are are conservative. And I'm sorry, like Christine Gracia, Scott Ogilvie, Shane Cohn. I think they all supported Vlada Cruz, and they are not conservatives. They obviously supported the mayor. And some of the people who are in this renegade faction didn't. They supported Tashara Jones. But it, it gives I, – I, I just am uncomfortable with that, especially when there are actual conservative Democrats on the board of aldermen mm-hmm. where I live in mm-hmm. South St. Louis who I don't think you can really pair with some of the other people. That's yeah. my that's my rant. Right. I'm, but, I'm gonna... <laughs> but still, do you expect any fallout heading into November? Because th- there's only two statewide Democrats left. Claire McCaskill's U.S. Senator, uh, Nicole Galloway, who's the state auditor. I'm not advocating for or against, but the fact is that they're the last last Democrat standing. Mm-hmm. In, and so they they will be relying heavily on getting a strong turnout in uh, St. Louis. And mm-hmm. as I've said a million times on my rent, it's not just the percentage. It's also the numbers. Absolutely. I mean, I was just looking at some numbers from 2014, for example. Mm-hmm. Um the percentage turnout in the city 
was only about 26%. Right. In a lot of these little counties, it was closer to 50. Right. And if you multiply those little counties by, by 100, which is what you've got mm -hmm. in the state, all of a sudden, you know, they can have a much stronger voice. So any little thing. Mm -hmm. So within the party, do you think there may be some lasting splits that affect things in November? Or do you think you guys will all be on the same page? I mean, depending on what sort of issues you're debating over the next few months, I'm just interested in what, what fallout there may be, if any. Sure. So I think the city central committee and the state Democratic Party are different entities. Um, it is the the local committee is supposed to be sort of the legs, the boots on the ground, the outreach, uh, the, the groundwork there for the party. Um, state party has a really interesting relationship with the city right now. Um, and there's there's tension there. There's tension that has been there. Um, you know, our chairman, Stephen Weber, says every time he goes anywhere, someone in rural Missouri or in the city, they say, well, the state party hasn't been here. You guys don't care about us. Right. Um, so it, but they're getting out there now. They're getting out there. They're coming around to meetings. They'll come to whatever meeting you ask them to come to. Um, and I think, well, so we also have um, an office. They're working to establish a Democratic Party office here in the city. Um, Rasheen Aldridge has you, been asked. You mean a to, state Democratic office? Yes, a state party office here as far as outreach goes. So um, Rasheen Aldridge has been asked to to help lead that up. Um, and that's that's something that they're, you know, they're working on is is how do we how do we connect better with the Central Committee? How do we facilitate relationships in these communities that are getting people registered, getting people engaged? Um, Claire McCaskill finally came to the city. Uh, I wish we'd had a little more than two days' notice. There were a lot of things going on that day. Um, it was also at 9 a.m. in the morning on a Saturday, which right. I went to, but I could understand, <laughs> like, a lot of people don't have time to do that. Right, right. And so um, that that's part of it is, is are these candidates coming in and getting engaged? And, right, Nicole Galloway is obviously here with the audit. She's, she's in town, and she's saying, hey, we're going to have community meetings and talk about what's getting audited, talk about what your priorities are. Um, she's doing the work here to be present here, and hopefully, people will tie that together and say, "Oh, we we need to come out and support her." But it's it's that ground level engagement that if we're not giving people a reason to participate, then they're not going to. And I, I agree that it's a numbers game. If we don't if we don't show up in these communities, if we don't um, show them that we're there more than just during election time, they're not going to come out. Um, and that has huge ripple effects for the whole state. Um, so I, I think that there, there are a couple pieces. I don't think that the Central Committee is left out of that. I think they can be a, a strong key there. If we're, if we're truly doing the work of getting out and pushing voters to get registered voters to engage, um, before the, the 2016 elections, we were doing massive voter registration efforts. We were trying to get folks out. Um, and if we can focus on doing that, then then I, I think we we push forward and we can keep this back. But if the central committee is just, if we're focusing on how do we punish people, um, then we're not we're not getting out there and doing that work. Now, who I mean, I know this, but just so our listeners know, who is the city Democratic Party chairman right now? Um, that's Bob Hilgeman is the chairman of the city central committee. I want to talk about a few more issues. One of them is a bill that was actually being uh, heard while the votes were being cast. And this effectively, it's sponsored by Alderwoman Megan Green, 
would bar city resources from being expended to enforce marijuana laws in most instances. There's some exceptions. They could still arrest somebody if they're 17 and have marijuana, for example. I'm going to play a clip now both from Alderwoman Megan Green and Alderman Joe Vaccaro, who have very different views of this issue. I splice them together using radio magic, and I'm going to use that as a jumping off point. We heard from a number of folks tonight who um, would benefit from using uh, marijuana for medicinal purposes. We've heard from people um, who work with folks who are addicted to opioids and to heroin, and we know that legalization decreases that. Um, we've lo we, last year, we had more people die from heroin overdoses than homicide in this city. And if we can uh, take a step forward in reducing the number of people that are using opioids and heroin, that's a positive step. Coming from that background of doing drugs when I was young and getting incredibly sick for a very long time, you don't know, even in the case of marijuana, if somebody's grown it and given it to friends, you don't know what it's laced with. If it's controlled in a state, you're going to get the right stuff. But what if they're lacing it with fentanyl? Hey, you know, I got some really killer weed, man, you know, because that's what we did. You know, you don't know what you're smoking. And I just, I just have a lot of reservations about it. So those are two different views of the issue. Um, Alderman Vaccaro is the chairman of the committee hearing Alderwoman Green's bill. So I, I, he basically told me that it's, it could be a while before they take any action on this. So this is probably an issue that you may vote on. Who's right, uh, Alderwoman Green or Alderman Vaccaro? I lean towards um, Alderwoman Green's um perspective on this. And I think the studies are showing um, that, you know, that she's right about reducing heroin use, about reducing opioid use, um, about the medicinal benefits of marijuana. And and what we do know is that even with our limited enforcement policy that the city has right now, those those tickets for marijuana usage can still have lasting effects for the people that that are issued those tickets. You you can be barred from federal financial aid forever from that, right? Um, the the FAFSA still includes uh, that question of have you ever been you know cited for a drug offense, um, and that still counts. Um, and we, you know, the more we learn about marijuana and the initial sort of racial implications of our um, criminalization of marijuana in the first place, um, I, I think this is an area that St. Louis can can push on. Um, I've, I've heard a little bit of talk from the state house that there are a couple of bills that have some promise uh, as far as legalization um, for medical from, marijuana. For medical marijuana on the state side. Um, you know, and that's that's kind of how this progresses, right? We, you know, start with medicinal and then we then hopefully keep on moving. Um, but but I, I don't I think the fears of, you know, the state police coming in to enforce these things, I think that's a little overblown. They don't have the resources either. We have way bigger issues um, than than catching a, a 22 year old um, who's who's got some pot on them. Um, yeah. But I mean, look at just playing devil's advocate here. Uh, <clears throat> Vicaro's concern about something being laced with it. I mean, would there be any sort of a enforcement standards to make sure somebody didn't spray insecticide on it or whatever? I mean, I'm probably more of his generation. I mean, when there was a lot of pot flowing when I was a late teenager, early 20s, and but and that was sometimes people died or got sick because of stuff that was sprayed in it. If they're, I mean, if the city does this, would they have to have some sort of, I mean, 
inspection mechanism in effect. Well, right. So this isn't a this isn't a legalization bill. It's more just an enforcement priority, right? Um, and so, I I'm not sure that it changes things that drastically. That um, we're going to have marijuana flowing, right? I, I it seems a little hyperbolic to go that far, um, but I do. You know, I spoke with some firefighters yesterday at the polls that were talking about if we push to legalize, and they're talking about legalization, not just enforcement priorities, Mm -hmm. but we push to this, then we're less likely to have people out on K2 that are in the middle of of Tucker because they've passed out because they've been given laced drugs, right? Um, And so if this is is one more push um, to try to to get our whole state on board, then, then I'm on board with that. So the other issue that I think you'll be dealing with possibly is the possible privatization of the airport. Um, It's possible that you might not have to deal with it because if the three members of the Board of Estimate and Apportionment vote it down, or at least two of them do, then I don't think it ever makes it to the Board of Aldermen. Correct. So there's actually a lot more pressure on people like Board of Aldermen President Lewis Reed and Comptroller Darlene Green right now than older people like you. Mm-hmm. I, I read both of both you and, and Paul's feelings on this. I know that you're not for it, mm-hmm. but just explain your, your sense of the issue and what you think the possibility is that the Alder, the Board of Aldermen may actually have to, to wrestle with this issue. Yeah, I was at the a board last Friday when they were talking about um, Alderwoman Davis's resolution as far as, you know, we need to be included in this process, right? Um, don't just tell us what we're going to do. Um, and I think that that sentiment goes for a lot of a lot of decisions at the board. The, the, the board doesn't want to be told what to do. They want input in the process. Um, you know, I, I am against privatization. I know that there are three residents of the 8th Ward who are on the airport commission, uh, which be inter- will, will be interesting conversations to have um, as far as their perspectives. You know, and if that recommendation, if they're making a recommendation that then goes to the mayor, goes to the board of ENA, if if that decision is how that, I'm not entirely sure how their input it, will play It's definitely play into- a multi-step process, right. and it may also require the city voters voting possibly right, right. but again I, I would say the onus now is on the, the three members of the of ENA right and I mean I'm not even really that sure that the mayor is super a hundred percent supportive of this idea this was something that was started by Mayor Slay in his mm-hmm. last few weeks um, I know that there's the Rex Singfeld uh, connection to it and I know that there are a couple people that worked on Cruson's campaign that are connected to Sinkfeld, but Sinkfeld has never given a lot of money. I don't think he's given any money ever to Cruson ever, like once. He gave lots of money to Slay, like in the six figures. You can also then push back that if she doesn't want to, why continue to go ahead with the process? She has the authority to stop it now and not go with any kind of commission or even advance it and just be like, I don't think it's a good idea. But um, I guess, I mean, your take on the situation is, do you think it even gets to the Board of Aldermen? Or are there enough sort of stop gaps in between then and now that you may not even have to, to worry about it? I mean, I think it would be great if it didn't get all the way down to us. I mean, unless they, you know, well, now I'm not even going to say unless because I'm not sure that there there is a policy or a proposal for privatization that works um, to a point that I would be satisfied with it. Um, you know, it's. It's an amazing resource that we have as the city, um, and I, I know that there are restrictions on what we can do with that money and you know where that goes. Um, but it's on its way up, um, and so to be looking at giving away any portion of that or the profits or putting those jobs, those union jobs in jeopardy, um, 
you know, the quality of services, our control over the land around the airport and development there, um, it just seems like not not the right direction right now. So, so the other topic I wanted to ask you about, which this would probably be up to some subset of voters, whether it be the city and the county or whether it's statewide, is, is merging St. Louis and St. Louis County. Now, this is an issue the mayor is definitely on record as being for, at least making the city a municipality within St. Louis County. I, I was I, I was I saw your response in the St. Louis American about this issue. There are a lot of Democratic elected officials in the city that are for a quote unquote merger. You take a different perspective. I'd like you to explain that here. Yeah. So one of the things that we we talked about a lot on the, the city central committee was this decision to move from 28 wards to 14 wards. And what effect does that have on um, on black voters on black residents? Um, where does proportionality and representation come in? Um, and then what does it take to get folks elected when we move to that sort of system? And I think that translates into the city county merger that. Um, you know, how do we protect the interest of those who um, don't have the same sort of political pull or the historic political pull? We know that um, our our city, our county, our air, our region um, was built along these these racist lines, the redlining, the um, limiting of power for um, people of color and um, making sure that that we have everybody's voice represented in that um, and not just saying, you know, is this is this good? For the city, is this good for the county? But is it good for the people in there, right? Like, and that's um, that's a push that I think has to be has to be represented. The more we as a region are focused on, wow, we've got some racial inequality issues, we've got um, mortality issues that are different north and south of Del Mar, and that doesn't stop at the county line. That doesn't, you know, those things cross there. And so when we're talking about incorporating these these two entities together. Is, is that a net positive or is that a negative? And if it's a negative, then should we even be talking about it? Or how are we talking about it in a way that's going to the work to protect people? Yeah. And that has been one of my main driving sources of question throughout this process. Uh, it's not whether like certain cities exist or not. You know, it's it's numbers. So right now, the city of St. Louis, I think, has an African-American majority population. It's not enormous, but I think it's it is a majority black but city. But the voting age population is probably more of fifty fifty. It's about fifty fifty. The because count, the, because the African American population is younger. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the county is seventy five twenty five. Now I could see a scenario where the city joins as as a city but keeps its mayor comptroller and board of aldermen president and then adds a bunch of people to the county council where that could hypothetically probably two that could probably make it easier not not significantly easier, but more possible for an African-American to be elected county executive because the percentage would go up to like 35 or 40 percent. But if it's this mega city idea where there's a county executive and mayor who are basically one person, I think it becomes like Jackson County, where it becomes very difficult for an African-American to assume a major leadership position. It's obviously not impossible because the the, the county executive of Jackson County is an African-American who was appointed to that position, won an unopposed election, but is now facing really difficult political problems of his own, similar to Charlie Dooley. But I, I in this entire discussion, and I've been following it for five or six years, this really doesn't get talked about a lot. And I think this is the number one issue throughout this entire discussion, mm-hmm. especially after Ferguson mm-hmm. and especially mm-hmm. after Jason Stockley. I, mm-hmm. I, from your answer, I, I'm guessing you agree with me on this, but um, 
Yeah. Yeah, the floor yeah, is yours. Absolutely. It uh, you know, and that's one of the one of the things when I was elected to the um, the Central Committee, the decision had already been made by the Central Committee to support the efforts to put ward reduction back on the ballot. Um, my ward voted 74% for ward reduction. Um, and so also six, seven years ago, I right. think that we voted on right. it. So a lot has changed. Right. Yeah, so yeah, things have changed. There's an awareness. Sure. Right. There, yeah, we've, we've learned a lot more. About I mean, do you think there's going to be any effort to try to stop the ward reduction? Yes. Yeah. So um, that okay. that does exist, right? Um, and the... I mean, yeah, but is it serious? I think I think that has some legs. Um, I, I'm interested to see where the financial support for that comes in because that's going to have to be financially supported. That's going to, I mean, it's going to have to be a, a massive push to get that through, both to get it on the ballot and then once it's on the ballot, then push the public information campaign on that, right? These are, um, they're, yeah, those are those are big undertakings. Um, but but when when we joined, um, one of the things that that a lot of us had said was like, "Hey, can we revisit this?" Because we weren't we weren't on this committee when this decision was made, and not that we disagree with your perspective to try to oppose ward reduction, um, but we just want to open up the conversation again to say, you know, what are your main concerns, right? I'm, I'm in the eighth ward. I don't know what the concerns are of the second ward unless I ask, right? And so we are just trying to to open up that conversation, um, you know, and then we saw the the um, civil rights Missouri number one in civil or St. Louis number one in civil rights exhibit at the Missouri History Museum, where they talk about the last attempt to um, reduce the number of wards and there was no plan for racial equity in it um and it was massively opposed and i think 60 percent voter turnout on the north side to try to protect the african-american population their ability to represent themselves um you know and that that opened a lot of our eyes um to say hey wait a minute right you know and then when you go and look at the sponsors of that bill um they're all white. <laughs> um, and so what's going on there, right? Like we're asking those questions that are behind it. Um, you know, and so I think being able to give give people the ability to see kind of the motivations behind it, they may still vote for reduction. And that is that is absolutely their right. Um, but to be presented with the information again in the climate that we're in, with the understanding that we're in, with the Ferguson Commission report, understanding where a region is, um, would we still make the decision the same decision? So the final question, if you win a full four-year term next year mm -hmm. as a Democrat, you're going to yeah, be running as a Democrat. You would be, you would be, you'd be on the ballot in 2019. Incumbent, right. you'll, yeah. you'll be involved in drawing Absolutely. the new lines. Mm -hmm. And I've already talked with Alderwoman Heather Navarro about how they may want to change that process right. if the ward reduction goes into place. What would be your philosophy on that? Because I do think that there is a legitimate fear mm -hmm. that you're going to get a map that makes it more difficult for African-Americans to get elected to the Board of mm -hmm. Aldermen. There's certainly going to be fewer seats. Right. But it, if it's a situation where their percentage goes down markedly, that affects their ability to get resources there right. to the community, to have policy ideas that right. their neighborhoods want. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, this is an issue I'm pretty passionate about, of making sure that African-Americans have have strong representation. Yeah. But I, I'm interested to hear what your philosophy is going to be if you're going to have a vote in drawing those lines. Absolutely. So um, this is one of the things that we, we talked about a little bit um, at a couple of our forums was that right now the, the Legislative Committee of the Board of Aldermen draws the lines. Um, and 
I think that we're seeing nationwide across the the city as well that we don't want politicians drawing their own lines. Um, we even though. <laughs> We all may join this process thinking we have the best of intentions. Um, there's there is a level of self interest that comes in when you draw your own lines, right? Um, and I I don't think that we're at the point where there's enough trust in that body to to of the people trust of the people to draw these lines equitably. Um, I think that we should be looking for an outside organization, um, nonpartisan. Um, with credentials as far, you know, whether it's a judicial commission or um, a citizens commission that's put together, um, some way of making sure that this isn't just an alderman protecting their own territory um, or putting together the progressive people who are, sorry, I mean, I know you don't like that word. The but renegade. Right, the, 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 renegade <laughs> the renegades on the south side pitting us against each other or the, you know, our, our newer folks on the north side that are, have a lot of energy and are doing this hard right. work. If we pit people against each other, then we all lose out on that, right? So, um, you know, I know that this is something that Alderwoman Green was looking at as well. I'm glad to know that that um, Alderwoman Navarro is – I'm – we we need to be pushing the board on this. Um, this is it's an issue of representation, um, and again, what we know of the region, what we are our, our sort of common understanding of this is that we we're still in a place where we've got to put some protections in place, um, and and that's that's important to the whole city. Well, we just want to thank you for coming in on such such short notice to talk about this. We also will have you on when you're actually an older woman and doing things and not just talking about what <laughs> you're right. going to do. Yep. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter, Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. It's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. Follow Rachel on Twitter at... At Arlipman, two P's and two N's. And you can follow the older woman elect at... Annie Rice, STL. Now, bef- now before we go... You had 50 minutes to decide what your outro music was going to be. I'm sure that you weren't thinking of that when we were peppering you with questions. But what do you want your outro music to be? I'm going to go with Who Run the World with Beyonce. Um, It's 2018 and it's the year of the woman and let's do this. I'm very glad I asked you to choose your own song. (laughs) Have we ever had Beyonce as an outro? Uh, No, but we'll be back next week. About time. Until then, (laughs) so long. (laughs) 